Hey everybody, welcome to the new episode of Lunch with Lindsay. I'm Lindsay Zarniak. I'm so excited that you're spending some time with me. Today, I'm gonna talk off the heels of Mother's Day about work-life balance. A lot of people ask me about that and I know a lot of folks are thinking the same thing. It's so hard to do both. So, I'm inviting a couple friends to this conversation. My friend Paula Ferris, she's a journalist also, entrepreneur and my friend Stephanie Showstack. Stephanie, also an entrepreneur, but an accomplished actress as well. So can't wait to bring you guys into this conversation. But first, come on into my office. Let's go. Hello. Hi. 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 It's so good to see you. Thank good you for being here. Good to be here. This looks amazing. Thank you. Oh, that's right. You haven't you haven't been to the new office. No. I yeah. love it. Thank you. I'm so excited to get you, Stephanie, to meet Paula because Paula Ferris, here you are entering the conversation now. Paula, hi. Um, so hi, Paula, ladies. She's my friend, someone that I've looked up to for a long time. You have so many hats. You are a journalist, um, you know, obviously on air for years with Good Morning America, The View, but you're also an author and you are certainly now an entrepreneur. And the book that you just wrote, You Don't Have to Carry It All, is amazing. Paula, Stephanie, uh, accomplished actress, TV, film, also an entrepreneur. So you're creating something that's super exciting to me. Yes. Good to meet you, Paula. Good to meet you, too. And Lindsay tells me that you're French. Yes. So I should say bonjour. Bonjour. <laughs> but, you know, I am half French, half American. So don't, you know, be intimidated. And I've lived in this country for 30 years. Okay. But my English is pretty good. But I will so what's fumble your, in my words. What you're saying is we've I, ruined you, right? We've totally ruined you being here in America. Right. Because I love France. I love France. I love America. Well, so that's why I live here. She says she doesn't mind sitting close because she's French. So this helps us in this endeavor. However, <laughs> she did just wrap season five of A Million Little Things where she plays Delilah. So congrats. So awesome. Thank you. That's awesome. That's incredible. Congratulations. Quite an accomplishment. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We're both birthing different things in this season, right? I mean, you're birthing a new season. I'm birthing a book and a company. Lindsay, you're birthing this show and podcast and all the things you've got going on. So, <laughs> lot, lot, lots of labor and no, delivery. Lots happening. of labor, like, right, literally. But, um, <laughs> seriously, though, I love this conversation with the three of us. And to be honest, at first, Paula, I was going to talk to you and I asked Stephanie to come over because there's so many things I want to ask you. And then I thought this really makes more sense to have the three of us, because I do think there's a lot we have in common. Um, we are all in different parts of the industry. I would say like the TV entertainment news industry, Paula accomplished in news, right. And talk Stephanie acting me sports and whatever else. Right. But, um, I also think like there, we have got kids that are not too far apart from right. each other. We all married right. men that are slightly younger. Great. Right. Right. So I do I have the oldest? I have a college sophomore and a college high schooler. Two boys. You have a high schooler and a college student. I have, okay, so I have elementary, middle school, and high school okay. covered. And Lindsay, you have elementary school covered, I have third right? and kindergarten covered, yeah. Okay, yeah. amazing. Wow, so, so K is the youngest. Kindergarten through college. Yes. Very right. cool. And I, we've I, covered all our bases. Totally. And I think it's awesome because we've all, I think my perception is we've all made decisions. I think people don't talk enough about 
decisions that you make as a working mom, because I know the way I feel is I don't really, I haven't so often, I only have a handful of people that I feel like I can really ask like, Hey, what would you do in this instance? Or how did you handle this? And also sort of dealing with the ramifications of a decision. I don't know. I just, I'm all into being open and honest about how it looks for people in the workforce now for women. And Paula, that's what I love about your book. And listening to it, reading it, because I do both, uh, that is part of how I attack a book. That's <laughs> amazing. And then I read it, because you, you don't know when you're going to have time, right? But um, Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, like, I love the way you opened your book. And I know you talked about how you basically had people that ask you, what do you do now? And mm-hmm. at that point, you didn't know how to answer. And that struck yeah. me, like, right here. Same. Really? Yes. A lot of, yeah. what's next? And you feel yep. somehow embarrassed that you don't know when I think you should be like, I don't know. <laughs> and it's, right. it's a great opportunity yeah. when we don't know. It's, I, I feel like here in America, and you're probably going to have a different perspective. I mean, you're French American, Stephanie, but it's it, the first question you ask somebody is what do you, is what's your name? And then you follow it up with what do you do? All right. And it's like it almost implied that that's the only thing we bring to the table. And as women, We're programmed to get so much of our identity from our job and so much of our identity from motherhood. And we often don't give ourselves permission to try new things in new seasons. And so what Lindsay was just referring to is, you know, I I pumped the brakes in 2018 at the, I guess you could say the height of my broadcasting career when I was anchoring GMA and co-hosting The View because I was just... I was burnout, right? You know, you get to the top and you're like, what good is it, you know, to gain the world, but sell your soul in the process. And it's just like being a working mom wasn't working for me. Um, and so I stepped into a much less prestigious position at ABC. I demoted myself and then they let me go a year and a half later. And Hold it was on, in that second. moment. Before you move on there, cause I want to hear that. Yeah. Did you go to them after deciding like it's too much? And did you say, were you the one that was like, Hey, here's what I would like to do differently? Yes. Yes. Here's I, I, because I, you know, working weekends, it's just a different, I was working weekends. I was working weekdays. I never had consistent days off. I had three little kids at the time. I wasn't really spending much time with my family. Um, and like, you know, Carrie, the company that I have formed out of this pain, um, is it, you know, our, we believe that being a working mom should work and it just really doesn't in America. You have to often choose between kids and career and you're carrying a ton of mom guilt and you're burnt out and you never feel like you're nailing it. But I said, yes, let me just, I just, I said, I want to work Monday through Friday. I want to have some consistent hours so that I can, so that I can be present with my family. Right. Um, and that was 2018. And then the beginning of the pandemic, like a lot of other moms, they let me go and I never really got a reason. Um, it's still, I wouldn't say that I'm healed from it because I just think you don't always have a pretty tidy bow on some certain aspects of your life, but I'm grateful for it. It's weird to say I'm glad I lost my job, but I am glad I lost my job because it forced me to, to really figure out what I wanted to do next, right? You know that question. Um, I wanted to be more present with my kids, um, especially at this time in, in their lives. And I wanted to advocate for, for mothers in the workplace because I know like it's just it's impossible to be a working mom. And and then the, the, the marginalization on top of that, where once you become a mom, you're like, oh, she's not a leader anymore. Oh, she's just passed over on promotions. She's paid less. I mean, this is all statistical fact. So it forced me to pivot. I said I can stay in news or I can kind of go for this thing. Um, that I want to do, which is advocate for working moms. I didn't really know what it was going to look like. 
But yeah, I kind of blew up my life and moved to a small town in South Carolina and formed Carrie. So, and here I am talking to you ladies. <laughs> well, yeah. No. Can I jump yeah, in? Again, I want to say, first of all, congratulations for having the balls, even though you're a woman, to do that. Yes. I, I I have balls. That's a, I'm I'm I have two boys, so that's a very common word in this house. So I feel like just having two boys, I can just by proxy, you can say that I have balls. I appreciate that. Okay. And maybe that's not actually for being a uh, maybe that's not even politically correct. Maybe just like because that what does that say about courage? Us? Yeah, courage, courage, right, right. courage. But I did a similar thing. Um, you know, I was on this show, A Million Little Things, as a series regular, and it shot every. Um, it shot in Vancouver, and I live here in Connecticut. It shot for nine months out of the year, so I did it okay. for two years. And then um, the pandemic happened, the borders closed, and so I went, same thing to the producers and the writers, and I said, I. I can't, that means I can't go back and forth anymore. And even without the pandemic, it was just after two years of doing it, it just felt like this has, I can't do it the same way anymore. So I asked for the boss of time that they were meeting you. Was it like, cause that made, that changed everything with that. Right. Is that true? With the pandemic? Yeah. Yeah. I had to quarantine for two weeks in a hotel once I got to Vancouver. So then. Right. My, normally I try to go home every two weeks or every okay. three weeks, which is long, but it yeah. had, and it's, it went really great for the first two years and I loved what I did and I loved the people, but it had sort of taken a, a, a toll a little yeah. bit. Or I knew it would if I kept going. So I did a similar yeah. Yeah, and, and but what happened? Because now you just wrapped season five. So, so did they work around you or what? They, yeah, they were super nice and understanding, and uh, they I just was in a few episodes for season three and four, and then they asked me, "Do you want to be back for season five? And I said, uh, "For five episodes, if that's possible, at the end, I would love to." And right. They were, I said, if it's too little, it's okay. I get it. And we don't have to do it. And mm -hmm. they, they said, no, that's great. And so it was really nice. What were that's you feeling like when you made that decision? And also Paula, I would like to like wonder what this was like for you. But when you said to them that you weren't going to do it, like, thank you, but no, thank you. You couldn't mm -hmm. do that. What was that like for you? Uh, well, the reaching that point was a lot of, I, the best way to describe it is feeling in your own body, just a tug of war and you know, something's not right. And then when you sort of reach the decision or when you even go through the scenario, what if this is the decision I make, then a weight lifted and like, yeah, yeah. It's okay. And I knew that my number one priority for my husband and for me was to keep our family together. And that's what, so what do you think that's gut? Like, is that gut? What do you think that, because I, or, or is that little intuition? I know exactly, I love the way you describe it. I think it's, it's your inner wisdom. So yeah. my situation, just because I think there are more connections that come out of all three of these, is I was at ESPN, I was anchoring Sports Center, and this is so random, but you know how like sometimes I really believe in intuition, and I was walking around the halls one day, and I noticed that they had changed the artwork. There were all these new pictures of show teams. Okay. And this was 20, 
2016. It was like August 2016 because my daughter was born in November, okay? So I was sort of getting ready. I knew I had like a month and a half left before at and least you, before maternity you, you said Lindsay show team. So like the, like the, the, for instance, like the morning show, you'd see a picture of them on the wall. Yes. Is that I love it. Okay. Okay. Yes, exactly. Okay. Was, I just wanted to make sure. Okay. No, I'm so glad it was right. It was the morning sports center. It was, um, sports nation at the time. It was the 11 o'clock sports center. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what made me realize this, but I was looking and I was like, huh, where's our team? And like our team was, it was a really great show team, but also with the six o'clock, that was by far like one of the most like electric experiences I ever had because at some point they said to me, Hey, we're going to take your show and we're going to take you guys on the road. Cause this is the best time frame to do that because it's six o'clock. It's like essentially pregame before the NBA finals, before the Super yes. Bowl. So I went from being in studio there to literally being like, I am living my dream. Like that's what gets me like a lot, like energized is just being in a live environment and all that. And so those years were like just incredible. But anyway, then I was walking around one day and I didn't see our picture. So I randomly said, I wasn't going to bring it up because I was worried that it would look sensitive if I brought it up to my agent. Right. But I did. And I said, Hey, just FYI, we're talking about something else. It's kind of weird that that's not, that, that they don't have any pictures of us. He's like, let me, let me just look into it, whatever. So flash forward, come to find out they hadn't told me. They had made the decision that they were changing the six. They were bringing in a talk style format because they loved what these two other anchors were doing in that space. And they felt like the six was the great place to try it. They were moving me to the weekend mornings. Now in sports. Wait, 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 wait. And you're pregnant, right? Right. At this time. And they're moving you, but they haven't asked you if they can move. They you. hadn't told me. So what happened was I re I, I brought that up. Right. So like intuition just out of nowhere. <laughs> So that started the conversation and literally within the week, I was in the office of one of the managers there saying, we are so sorry that this is how we're having this conversation, but here's what we're doing. Yeah. We would love if you will take this job. And to their credit, there was one other manager who actually came down to Connecticut where I live and took me to coffee and was like, we really want you to do this. And I really respected him, but I had to think long and hard about the time frame of that show, all of a sudden I was going to do weekends and it, it didn't jive at that point with my family situation. But to be really honest and transparent, I felt really undervalued because of the way that that came down. And I also yeah. at that point didn't know how to, who to trust because the people that came into that role also were represented by the company that my agent was with. So he knew, so it was the whole thing, right? It was the whole thing. None of that matters now, but what did matter in that decision was it became obvious that I had a decision to make. Either I'm going to leave there or I'm going to do the weekend mornings. And what happened was I went, I had my daughter. I hadn't had to make that firm decision yet in November when I had her, but I was done doing the six. So over my maternity leave, I came back and I did a couple of really cool projects like Special Olympics, some other things but they were waiting for a firm decision. Was I going to move on and do that? And so I was in my garage and I remember talking to my mom because I was so stressed out and it was what you said, which is what made me think about it. I had such a feeling of like, it's not right. And I can't say why. And this is not going to make sense to anyone else because anyone in my shoes would be like the weekend sports centers, you know, that's also a great rated show. But I was talking to my mom and she was like, what would you tell your daughter to do? And I was yeah, like, oh, that's yeah. what I needed. That was it. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. So what I've learned about myself is to make big decisions. Sometimes I pull the amount of people I need to pull until I hear the one person say what I needed, <laughs> what I wanted all along. Right? Yes. But so Lindsay, if- you went with like you had a, your gut and same with you, Stephanie, that knowing that internal piece and you have to, I, I like same with me, like you follow your, the piece that you have, even though it might not make sense. But Lindsay, I want to ask you, and I know you're supposed to be interviewing me, but I want to flip the table a little bit because <laughs> I, I remember seeing this because it was like you did Sports Center every night and then all of a sudden you were gone and I knew you were pregnant and I didn't know what happened and you've never talked about it really, mm-hmm. uh, publicly at least. And, um, you know, I'm. this is one of the things that fires me up about like advocating for mothers because there is such a thing as the motherhood penalty um, where mothers are paid less. Once you become a mother, 70 cents on the dollar, we're passed over on promotions. We're not deemed viable leaders anymore because we're mothers. We're scrutinized if we take time off to be with our kids. Whereas dads conversely enjoy what's called the fatherhood bonus, where they're hired more often than men without children. And they're paid more because they're, oh, they're a parent. They have to provide for their family. But I remember seeing this go down and thinking, I wonder what happened, you know? And I know what it's like to to lose my job and there are things that I can't say and I know there are things you can't yeah. say. Well, but to be but to be penalized while you're pregnant and here you are now soon to be a mom of two, it's 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 tough. It's really tough. I mean, I was really scared of I think until like now, honestly, I first shared that story. I was doing a talk in Nashville a -hmm. couple months ago and I was like, you know, this feels like the right audience to just because of what I was talking about, but I was nervous even about that. And there was something really freeing about it. Um, And so I think we only are able to help people when we share those things. And for me, I'm really scared about not being hired again if I talked about it. I was really nervous about that. And also I feel like I, so your the intro in your book resonated with me so much because I think that was a reaction in my little world because, you know, you feel like, oh my God, I'm under the microscope and people's response, especially guys like in the sports space would be like, if I saw someone, they'd be like, Hey, how you doing? How are the kids? And I, I mean, my children are, and my husband, but like, they are by far the most important thing to me, hands down, no question. But that tore me up. Like anytime, because immediately I would go to, well, you don't see what I'm doing out there. Like, and by the way, what was it? Like at the time I was, my first thing that I ended up doing was doing sidelines at Fox. But Well, and and there's, there's no denying that like your, your purpose can come out of your pain. Right. And and like I am again, I'm glad I lost my job. It forced me onto this new path. But that doesn't mean that how things went down were great or that um it was handled properly, right? And it doesn't mean that like I don't want your story to be diminished and I don't want my story to be diminished. Yes, there are certain parts that we just have to honor, but I don't want to just brush it to the side and say that, oh, that was okay. Because it's not, because for like I women, mothers are discriminated against. Mothers are marginalized. They're like, and you know, we see it all over in every industry. Um, It's not just broadcasting and film and TV and movies, you know? So 
Um, I think the more we share our stories in a in a way that can move the conversation forward, and that's like I don't want to be that whiny woman that's like, oh, I, you know, I, I, yeah, it sucked and it wasn't right, but let's do something about it. Let's make it better because when you were pregnant, Lindsay, you know, and that's the thing, like you're growing, it's scientifically proven, you're growing in your capacity and your empathy and your efficiency is, is scientifically changing, getting ready for that baby. And so there's so many things that motherhood brings out of us, whether the baby grew in our heart or our tummy. And I just think moms in general need a rebrand. You know, we're, we're cast as one thing, you know, we're, we're counting Cheerios and we're a risk and a liability, but like we've actually kind of become baddies really like, like science, it's scientifically proven and physiologically proven that we've become more courageous. You know, you talked about being more courageous, Stephanie earlier, um, having the chutzpah, you know, to, to go through with some of your decisions, all of that we're better leaders and visionaries because of parenthood. So don't punish us for it. You know, so. Yeah, I think, um, you, I think, and I don't think you're seen as the, what did you call yourself? Like the woman who's like, yeah. <laughs> kind of curious. You, you know, or whining yeah, so, about it. Yes, or, but yes. I think what's needed, because I also, to play devil's advocate, I understand, you know, the fear of an employer being like, is she going to leave? It, because there, I have a lot of friends who have kids and they abandon their careers because they wanted to be fully present with their children. But there needs to be better communication. <laughs> That's what it is. It's just we need to be yeah. about it and that um, expressing the reality of it and how we. That's what I think is missing. Because when, when I, even as an actress, so I don't have an employer per se, but I had yeah. an agent. Yeah. I remember my first like studio movie. It was a small role, but it was the Devil Wears Prada small role yeah but a so big, really, such a great movie yeah and my agent at the time so i got pregnant uh the movie wasn't out yet but i got pregnant right uh after we did the movie and so i told my agent and she's what a woman and she said i think you're an idiot <laughs> really who goes get and gets pregnant now like that's because she knew that your opportunities were only going to was multiply yeah yeah, oh. also nine months of being pregnant. Right. What'd you say? Wow. I was dumbfounded, but it also was a good uh, clue uh, or a hint that this is not the right person for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Maybe but not. that's where, like, but it's this mentality in America where motherhood is punished instead of celebrated. It's very much scrutinized. And I and just to back up to what you just said, Stephanie, I think it's something so interesting. And I'm sure a lot of people think of it, a lot of employers do. It's like, oh, is she just going to up and leave? Because that's what a lot of women do. And I have so many men come up to me and they're like, Paula, I have this resume. And, and this woman is like, she is successful and she is well accomplished. And then she has a kid and she leaves. And I'm like, because the workplace doesn't work for her. And it is proven, however that we bring something so different and dynamic to the workplace as a mother, but the workplace isn't set up to keep us, okay? It's shut because because of the archaic structure of the workplace. And um, and also, like, I, I'm just a big proponent, too. Like, because of motherhood, we become a better employee. It's a masterclass on, on leadership. Um, and, and the reality is a lot of mothers these days 70% uh, of mothers will be the primary breadwinner for their families. And so if we keep paying mothers less 
unless we'll continue cycles of debt and poverty. And it's not the 1950s and 60s where you could live on one salary. Most mothers are working because they have to work. And so it's like, how do we get society to understand that without motherhood, we don't have a human race. And if we don't have a human race, we don't have a labor force to actually grow our economy. So how do we not just get them to, to um, celebrate and cherish motherhood instead of penalize it, but to also value and validate what we uniquely bring to the workforce now? Because, be, because courage and efficiency and emotional IQ, social cues, efficiency, productivity, it all increases once you become a parent. And that's where I'm like, there's this disconnect because she's not a liability. If you support her, it is proven that mothers and fathers are the most efficient, productive, and loyal employees you can find. So it you seems them. You, one of you brought up communication, right? Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that, I think that's what it is, right? And a couple of different facets is like, so example, the one thing that when I was at ESPN and I had my son, they really made it easy for me when they took my mm-hmm. son on the road. Because uh, at first I felt apprehensive, like, okay, is this going to be viewed a certain way? They actually made it easy for me to, okay, let's, we'll get you two hotel rooms, you pay for one. And that was really good. Like that, and that Great. actually was a really valuable experience taking my son with me to see now the kind of traveler he is. Like, I really love that. Right. But that's awesome. So that was a plus, but also, and I feel like communicating about the kinds of things and making it more commonplace to have those types of conversations and to help eliminate the fear of people who don't have women that don't have children yet that you can Mm -hmm. do this. And here's how you excel in a role as an actress when you're on location or you're, you know, doing news or sports and you're Mm -hmm. on the scene. I also think that just having that conversation about when you're talking about being scared that people are going to leave and not come back, you're right. If you find a way to, tell them what it's going to be like when they come back and meet them in the middle. I think that's everything. Cause I would be very curious to hear what young women really work yes. out and feel. And I think, um, also do it, the doing it all like that. I've gotten some questions from people that, that follow me asking, knowing that we're talking about how do you do it all? Like how do you balance the daily stuff with the work? And people really want to hear that. Yeah. I'm I, still struggling with that. <laughs> I, I don't think that, I think you have to get rid of the word balance because you're never going to be, because you're oh, something's always going to be off balance. My sister said, um, it's either the house or me that's going to look good. One of us has to give, you know, I think she, she had a sign in her kitchen that says that. And so like, I just know if I'm on the road, like there are things that I, I have to accept a, that I can't carry at all. And I think in America, we don't have a realistic measuring stick of what it means to be a working mom. We're still trying to like do it all and be everything. And that's why we're burning out at record levels and we don't ask for help. Right. And so I just, you know, I, I have learned to give myself a ton of grace and motherhood and I do not try to carry it all anymore. I have hired somebody to clean my house once a month. I'm actually looking for somebody to like to help them with meals. And I, you know, and that's not, and and that's the thing. A lot of this like outsourcing or asking for help, it's like, oh, you're privileged or you're weaker or you're a failure because you can't do it because you can't. Yeah, I can do it all, but I don't want to anymore because I burn out and I'm not a healthy version for my, the rest of my family. Um, And so just knowing that this is going to look imperfect and that's okay. And I'm going to drop a ball every single day. I'll tell my kids, I'm like, okay, 
what's the glass ball today and what's the plastic ball? What can we drop? Because we're going to drop something today. The glass shatters and the plastic bounces. So just knowing I'm going to drop a ball every day, but I ask for help. I, I, I'm no longer afraid to say or ashamed to ask for help. I And I think of asking for help is so stigmatized here in America, whether it's hiring help, asking your friends to chip in. I, I just... I decided to be proactive about it. So I'll call my friends. Hey, can I pick your kid up from school today? Can I take them to, to and from volleyball or sports practice? Could I bring you a meal today? Can I do something for you today? Like instead of, because we're all living, and you probably have a different perspective too, Stephanie, because you have more of a global perspective. But like in other countries, they do life together. They they Like if, you're, if you don't ask your friends for help, they're actually mad at you. There's a community aspect where you have fam family members living with you. Um, they're pitching in. Even the, the attitudes of the community are we are raising up the next generation of leaders, these children. So everyone has a vested interest. Whereas here in America, raising a kid is very privatized. It's your kid, your problem, right? And so I think we've just been conditioned to try to carry it all and do it all. And that's why being a working mom in America is harder than anywhere else and why it's harder, you know, than ever before. But my advice is don't stop trying to carry it all. It's okay. You, you're not perfect. You can't do it all alone. Ask for help. Find community. If you don't have one, create one, find a Facebook group, be, be that to somebody else. My mother, so two things interesting, relevant in this conversation, I think, first of all, my mother was a working mom, um, mm -hmm. like a lot of my friends' moms, and um, never had any guilt about being a working mom. No. And always no. told me, um, you will if you become a mother, don't lose your identity as a woman, mm -hmm. as who you are. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. uh, when she would go out, I remember her, another mom said, oh, we can have the kids. This was in France. So also all mothers are not equal, you know, we're all no. different. But one of the moms was like, oh, we can bring the kids. And my mom in front of me was like, no, that's not a night out. <laughs> so you know, you know. That's so. But it was so, I, I love that. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. You're modeling. Yes. I mean, that's really yep. important. Yes. And, and mom guilt, yeah, mom guilt's not really prevalent in other countries. Like it is here in America. We feel guilty over, we manifest those mm -hmm. emotions of guilt, whereas other countries, and I write about France a lot, actually, in my book, and about the parenting styles and how no means no, and they don't really have kids' menus, and you have to let your kids be frustrated um, but mob guild doesn't exist in other countries to the level it does here because most moms have to work globally. That's just part of it. But they also have, so they take great amount of, a great amount of pride in it, but they also have the structure to support them. Whereas here, you, you we just don't, sure. we don't have the structure. I, um, so. There's a woman, Lisa Michelle, who wrote to me on this topic today. And this is something she said to bring up. She said, the guilt I have at the end of the day, when my kids want to engage or pull me into a craft or task, when I have all the other tasks I need to do at the end of the day to prep for the night and the next morning. She's like, that was her two cents. And I totally like, sometimes don't you feel drained also at the end of the day? And I made, so I try to focus on my calendar because I find that that makes me feel better if I can like try to get stuff together and straight. But yeah. I've had a couple instances lately. I was at the Kentucky Derby and I got a phone call from, um, our nanny, who that's how we've done this. That's how my husband and I make it work. She's a part of our family. She's been with us since my son was three months old. And she said, Lindsay, I'm here at the trampoline park for the birthday party, but no one's here from the party. And it was because the party was the following Monday. <laughs> and I had like, so I 
am that mom who tries to <laughs> compensate <laughs> and do things. And then it's like, oh, yeah, child's at school an hour early. That meeting wasn't uh-huh. right. Like, I mean, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but one other thing I realized for me, <laughs> I try to do is so funny. So I, I don't know. I try to find tasks that really I enjoy doing that I know yes. really like and, and try to focus on like doing those with them. But I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I just. Well, and also related to the comment from your, your, yeah. the person. Lisa who, Michelle oh, yeah, Lisa. I remember as a kid, my mom would come home from work at 7.30 at night and she would start dinner and I would come, so I was, I had an older brother, so I was alone a lot during my home. And I would come in the kitchen, can I uh, recite my poetry with you or whatever, do my thing? And she would say, no. <laughs> <laughs> can you see I'm cooking? And my mom was the most loving, and, but in that moment, like, and I'd be like, oh. And she's like, no, not now. Now is not the time. Yes. But mm-hmm. it was so good. So interesting. For me to un- yeah. realize she's. Yeah. She wasn't trying, she was doing, she, you know, she, was it like, she that was reached like her, her limit time. and yeah. she was like, no, yeah. no, and that didn't mean she didn't help me other times, but there's, I had to understand there were moments where my mom was not available. It wasn't all the time that you see, yeah. that's because, I mean, that's because the French, the French mentality, but here we're like, we're expected to be this mo- mommy martyr and lay our lives down. And of course we're going to do anything to protect our kids. But we also like need to say no and have boundaries. And that's good for our kids to see that. A lot of the guilt that I felt was about work. And I'm like, oh, but how, you know, and like, can you really work and raise your kids? And there's so much data to show that children of working mothers and all moms work, but mothers in the workplace, like the, the girls grow up to be more confident um, and the boys are better partners and they pitch in more around the house. And so I had to release a lot of that guilt, but I also had to stop demonizing work to my kids because kids have something. And I learned this from a friend of mine um, who travels a lot. And he's like, kids have what's called mirror neurons. So if we say, oh, mommy's going to be gone. I'm going to miss you so much. Are you going to miss me? They're going to be like, yeah, I'm going to miss you. But if you're like, mommy's gone for, for three days and I get to go to the Kentucky Derby and see history be made and you invite them into the conversation and you tell them the impact that you get to have, they're going to repeat that back. And so he's like, it's no surprise that kids get to be 18 years old and don't want to get a job because we've demonized work. So that was like a light bulb went off. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's like, I've got to stop demonizing it. And I have to invite them in and tell them what's going on and, and invite the questions and tell them about the impact that I'm having, because we are ex- almost expected to totally lose ourselves in motherhood here in America. And if we don't, we're bad moms. And I'm just like, that's BS. I'm sorry. I'm done with it. I'm not trying to carry it all. I'm not going to be a perfect mom. I don't want to be a perfect mom anymore. I'm going to drop the ball every single day. Are we good with that? Great. I love you. I'll do anything for you. But mommy, also has things that are on her heart that she wants to pursue and here's why it's really really important and I love you guys and you know it's just like I'm just I'm done I'm done trying to be a perfect mom I'm done trying to carry it all that's I'm sorry I'm not going to do it anymore because I'm not a good person when I try to be I'm not good to my kids I'm not good to my to my partner to my husband I'm not good to anybody when you were saying uh, I'm done being a perfect mom and you said earlier the 
the athletes on the sports line was, how are the kids? Mm-hmm. One of the questions I had a lot of trouble with when my first son was born was, so do you love being a mom? And I was like, huh? I, and yeah. I hated it because I felt like it was putting me into a box. All of a sudden, I was a mom. And I was like, I love my children. Do I love being a mom? And then I was like, that means like doing all the crap that I don't necessarily love. And and that question made me feel so ill at ease. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and I feel like when we focus on being the, the, the perfect mom, or what does it mean to be a mom? Instead of, um, you know, Melissa Bernstein from, yes. yes. She has this thing, she, she, uh, Melissa Bernstein invented uh, the toys, Melissa and Doug, you know, the, with oh, the my brand. God. Yes, I love yes. Melissa and Doug. Are yes. you kidding me? Yes. yes. So she has, um, we were talking one day and she said, I love what you, all you described is you are living in the verb and not living in the noun. And I was like, uh, what does that mean? And she said, you're oh. talking about verbs, action. You like to create. You like to be curious. You like to adventure. But you're not talking about being a mother, being an entrepreneur, being. So that, she said, oh. that's living in the noun. When we live in the noun, we limit ourselves. When we live in the verb, it frees us. And I was like, oh, oh. that's really interesting. That is interesting. That's so interesting. That's why she's so good at making toys. She's so creative. She so good. <laughs> That's so good. I also love that um, Paula talks a lot, and I think this goes with that, about involving the men in your life. And oh, that, that's huge. I'm, I'm, I am such a fan of hearing how other people do that and how other people communicate. Like one thing I would really love to do is have more conversations about how do you decide what you're doing for holidays? Because that's really hard for me and for us, mm-hmm. like especially when you have families that live away, but also when it comes to the parenting and the freedom to talk about what you want as a woman, as a professional, mm-hmm. besides what you're doing as a mom or what how you're momming is the verb. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really think that you're you are spot on with that realization about making sure yeah. that there is much a part of that conversation. Yeah. I think so much of it is generational too. Like we see how our parents did it and our grandparents, right? But that wasn't really a reality. And I had so many, uh, um, like when I was writing the book, I had so many aha moments and I realized I had a ton of blind spots because just because it's how you were raised doesn't mean that's how it always is. And and one of the chapters, I talk about the history of American families. And I realized that the most traditional family throughout America, and when we think traditional here in America, you know, Stephanie, everybody idolizes and romanticizes the 1950s and 60s with June Cleaver and the husband worked and you know, the dad worked and the mom stayed home and all was peachy, right? But I realized in the 1950s, the reason that it was, it was, it was good for part of the people part of the time because black people were forced out of the workforce. Women were essentially forced out of the workforce. Um, men came home with lipstick on their collars. So it was not a more moral time. And if women were forced to work, they were, you know, typically paid less. Um, we had teen, teen pregnancies had a huge spike. A third of the country was in poverty. And I realized, oh my gosh, we are romanticizing a a feeling, but not the reality of it. I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to go back to that quote unquote traditional family, but the most traditional family in America was the family that worked side by side. You know, Lindsay, you talk about getting the men involved. You partnered together. The partners co-labored, they co-produced, they raised the children together. And like, that's why I'm so encouraged by this next generation. You see dad stepping up to the plate. Um, It's, 
it's not like it doesn't have anything to do with gender roles or any of that, but it has everything to do with partnering well together. Um, you know, why should the woman be the default default for everything from the beginning? Well, that's because we have maternity leave and she's the default out of the gate. We don't have paternity leave right in this country and we don't have maternity leave either. But, um, you know, inviting the men into the conversation, I think, is something that's key to changing the game for mothers and for working moms, because we're missing we're missing the solution right there if we emasculate men and we're like you're awful and we've done a good job of doing that but there's a way to invite them into the conversation to realize they have their own set of expectations and toxic messages that they've heard from this country including they're only as good as their paycheck you know your only job is to provide for this family and that really started in the 50s where the bonds of obligation we started pushing men out of the home in the 50s right? We're like, just bring home a paycheck. And if you don't, you're a failure, right? So understanding men already come into this conversation, hearing their own toxic messages. And I think men can do more for gender equality than anyone else in this country. I really, truly do. And I think that they can do it, not just by stepping up to the plate and like, not pitching in, not babysitting. You are partnering. You are you are giving an example to your children of what it means to be a partner, right? But the greatest thing I think that men can do in this country is to take their paternity leave and all of it, and if they don't have it, to fight for it. Because if you think about it, um, out of the gate, the woman is the default for every single thing. Out of the gate on maternity leave, it's her taking care of the baby, cleaning, cooking, everything. So out of the gate, she becomes the default or the she-fault as Eve Rodsky likes to say. And I think that you look at all the data, if men take their paternity leave, it, it, it mitigates postpartum depression, it increases the bond with the child, but more so it levels the playing field for, for, for parenting that child and partnering and parenting that child together so that it's not just all on the mom. If you're parenting and raising the child together in the mundane and the, the crazy of parenting right from the beginning. So I, I think that's the greatest thing that men can do. And, they, and that right there does more for gender equality, I think, than anything else. I want to ask um, before you guys got a skedaddle, I know. Um, but when we talk about jobs and getting like mm -hmm. what we're what we're working towards, what what you're creating, what you, Paula, are creating, what we're doing now. How do you think, what are your thoughts on getting back into the workforce in a meaningful way or just on how mm -hmm. you do that, right? Because I know one of the things that I've mm -hmm. sort of opened my eyes and ears to is the concept of failure. I've gotten a lot more comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. And it, it yep. happened by Good. being around more people in different industries too and knowing like, hey, Things don't have to look so linear, like try things. It doesn't no. have to be a failure if this doesn't carry on or if that it can be a season, you know, but I think that that's a really interesting topic also. Yeah. I, yeah. I think you have to focus on just expressing whatever you are creating, expressing it as, with as much authenticity and the way you want it and as much meaning as it can have for you, and that doesn't come mm -hmm. from a selfish place, but that's the best we can do. Um, then whether mm -hmm. it's a failure or not is out of our control. And at the end of, it's like for me, when I go on an audition, I used to be like focused on, oh, I want the, to get the job. Let me, what, do, what are they looking for? What is gonna make them like me? That was me at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then it didn't work. Uh -huh. And finally I realized, oh, 
I went to the audition being like, yes, I love what I did. And nobody else could have done it. Yeah. And, the, and, then the, awesome. and then whether I get the job or not is out of my control. And I think it applies yeah. to everything we do. You just want to... Like it's the mindset and it's more like, is this a fit for me? Or, or just feeling a, like just feeling that sense of I did. Giving it your all, yeah. being curious, being proud of what you're doing and learning. And then you're going to learn even more if it, you're attempting something new. Yes. Yes. Lindsay, I think you said it like the changing the mindset of failure. And I think flipping the script on failure. I heard someone say, uh, they said failure is the down payment on success. And that was such an aha moment for me. Failure is the down payment on success. It's not a failure. I've, I've learned more from my failures. And trust me, like we could, I've had more failures than I have perceived successes. And so like flipping the script, changing your perspective on what failure looks like. And also I've learned to detach my identity and my value from what I do. So like if I had completely placed my identity and what I did as a broadcaster and trust me, I did. And the, and I had, I had an identity crisis without it. Um, but um, it, you need to have a, you need to detach your, who you are as a person from what you do, because your job's going to change like a lot throughout your life. And um, for me, that gave me like, my value is not in a job. It's not in a title anymore. Um, and that has given me the permission to try new things in new seasons. And if it fails, it, it fails. That's fine. But it's the down payment towards success. I know I'm going to be called to do a lot of things in different seasons. I'm not just called to do one thing. I'm not called to, to be a broadcaster. Um, you know, in this season, I feel very strong calling to advocate for mothers in the workplace. And that's what I'm doing. I'm going for it. Right. And so I'm giving myself the permission to try new things in new seasons. I'm realizing failure is part of it. It's the down payment on success. I've got to give myself the permission to try new things. My identity doesn't come from this, but I'm following that thing that scares me. I have a piece about it, coming back to the piece, but I'm still scared about it. But I have a, a, a piece that I'm supposed to be going for this thing right now, and that's to advocate for working moms. And and my why is because like, family is so important to me, and I want to help strengthen families. I want to strengthen my family, you know? And... um. But I think it's it's hard to give yourself the permission to try something new because you often typecast yourself. You're a broadcaster. You're an actress. Okay. And also, what's your name and what do you do for a living? Our identity is all in it. Um, I had to give myself the permission to see myself in a different capacity and then permission for other people to see me in a new capacity. But I know my value at the end of the day is in my vocation. How? So You made me think about something there. How do, this is actually going to feel like a sound bar, a sound uh, a side swipe after what we talked about. How, yeah, that's all right. How do you guys um, talk to your kids? Like, how do you have meaningful conversations after school and find out what's really going on in their lives? Do you? Mm. No. <laughs> She has a teenager. Teenagers are like notorious for clamming up. Uh, being, uh, I re even when they were little, bath time was a great time to talk. Uh, yeah. Now that they're mm -hmm. the teenager, driving is a great time to talk. There's yeah. like these little moments uh -huh. that are the dinner yep. table. For some reason, has never been. A, you would think it's a great time, but it just. Yeah. I don't know. They don't like bedtime. Kind yeah. of bedtime. Yes. 
Yeah. I, I think the best times and, you know, our kids are in different phases and every mom is different and some kids take the bus to school that 30 minutes that I get with my middle child every day in the car. And I learned through a communications expert. She's like, don't ask them. You can't ask open-ended questions. Like, how was your day? Like you have to say, what was the best part of your day? And then if they're not opening up, just say, Hey, here's the best part about my day. And you know, this happened and I'm not so sure that I handled it correctly. Um, and then you say, how do you think I handled it? What is your take on it? And you get them to kind of weigh in on your own situation. But the one question that I ask, so asking those, you know, not asking a, a closed ended question is key, but also like getting them to give you advice kind of on your own, on your own, like what's going on in your life is good for teens. But the one question I ask my teenagers that has really changed the game for all three of my kids, actually, they're nine, 13 and 15. I read this and they said, ask your teen, how can I best support you right now? And they start opening up about, I'm like, I, so this morning I asked my daughter, how can I best support you this week? And she just starts opening up, right? And that's like before school. And I asked my son that on the way in the car this morning. So like just coming up with a question, like how can I, my kids know every week I'm going to ask them and it might happen more than once a week. How can I best support you in this moment? You know, so that, I mean, you, we don't have all the answers. We don't have to act like we're perfect. Sometimes it's just like, how can I support you? What's an example of something that they would say in that as a response? Yeah. I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, my son um, might say, um, like, if I said, how can I best support you this week? He'd be like, you know, I just really on Friday, I want to go to Walmart before school and I want to look for sports cards, you know, and I want you to support this hobby that I have. Um, my daughter just said, just keep cheering me on this week. You know, I got a lot of stuff going on with sports and she's got some drama with some friends. Um, but I'll also ask about, you know, if, if they open up to me about a, some a particular situation, I'm not going to try to give them advice because I don't, they don't want your advice. I'll just say, how can I, like if my, my daughter is going through a situation with a friend at school, um, well, I wouldn't even call her a friend. Um, and I'm like, how can I best support you in this situation? You know, I, I don't have all the answers and she'll tell me how I can best support her and give me specific ways. Yeah, it's such, isn't it such a good question? I can't take any credit for it. I read it. Well, even like with your husband or your, you know, your significant other, yeah. like I don't be a sister. That's, yeah. My uh, husband was like, why don't you ever ask me that question, Paula? I'm like, because I'm supposed to ask my children. That's what the article said. He's like, you can ask me that question you know too. Funny? I was about to be real depressed for a hot minute on Mother's Day. Not because like I knew that I knew everyone was going to celebrate it. And I was just having this moment of like, I went um, out of town to do a charity event and I really wanted to do that, but I was feeling just like, you know, I was having a little pity party. And then I saw Dr. Becky Kennedy. Do you know who Dr. Becky is? She wrote the book yeah. and I started following her. Okay. Yes. Yes. And she had this little blurb where she said, moms, don't be thinking about like, don't expect them to do it for you. Pipe up and say what you want. And I was like, yes, of course. So I literally was like on Saturday, you know what I would really like tomorrow when I get home? Like I would love to just go hit tennis balls with us and the kids and blah, blah, blah. And that's what we ended up doing. And I was like, oh my God, nice. communication, uh -huh. yes. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can't read our no. minds. I, yeah, I told my kids, I was like, I want a low country boil, which well, is something we nice. do down here in the South. So good. It's like, it, Stephanie, it's really good. You like, yeah, that. it's, it's, you pour a bunch of like, it's like seafood and potatoes and crawfish. sausage and you boil yeah. it in crawfish and you just dump it on the table with old yeah, bases. It's, it's so it's good. It's like an American version yes. of a bluebiss. 
Oh, see, yes, it's amazing. So, yeah, you just, yeah. On newspaper. Oh, even better. So good. And you just roll it up afterwards. It was amazing. Yeah. Uh huh. I love that. Yeah. Wait, what about kids? One last thing that I learned yeah. from somebody, uh, from a psychologist, it was great too, is to hear how sometimes a, a child will just say something. Um, you know, an example would be, oh, um, this and this happened to so-and-so, let's say. And it seems like it has no meaning. And But a lot of times they'll start, they'll say that to start something or to give you a clue about something. So to, oh, interesting. So, to listen really for those small things that they might volunteer and it actually has a bigger, it's an in to say. Yeah. And, like, oh, yeah. So what? and then follow it up with questions. And that's really, that helped me a lot. So it might be like a thought that they're having or something that they're sort of working through kind of for yes. themselves. And, and it yeah, also happens with, um, oh, I mean, like with a teenager now is, oh, uh, they're having a sleepover, blah, blah, but I can sense that there's something a little funny in the way he says it. And I'm like, he actually wants me to say no to this. But then, you know. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. So, that's so interesting. Or sometimes it's things that are. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And Lindsay, we. We learned, um, you know, as question askers and interviewers, you know, there's like the the mirroring, which is repeating the last three words that your subject said. So if they're like, I just am having a really hard time with it. And you say hard time with it. And then that gets them to keep opening up, you know, that mirroring that you'll use in an interview or hostage negotiators use mirroring a lot. Use it with your kids. Because it's essentially like being a hostage negotiator with your children sometimes, but just that mirroring is something else you can do. But how can I best support you is the best question you can honestly ask. I love that. So you had a low country and you boy. can use it broad and situational. What's that? So you had a low country boy all from Mother's Day. What'd you do? We had sushi. We went to sushi yes. at night and then oh. just had a oh. day. Oh, yeah. Nothing special. Either. All right. Well, you guys are, are both amazing at what you do at the things, all the things, Thank but you. also amazing moms and amazing workers, entrepreneurs, all the things. Is there anything else? You want to share? Yeah. I want to yeah. say thank you for bringing us together and, yes. and helping people open up and have conversation. It's super helpful. Thank you. I know. I learned a lot from you guys. It's important to share our stories. And Lindsay, I'm proud of you for starting to share yours. Thank and you're you a good mom. And both of you, you don't have to carry it all, ladies. You don't have to. You're you're good mama. Thank you. Well, thank you. Good to meet you. I know. Mom. So you can. Good to meet you. I'm so excited to meet you. I know. Oh, oh, I had one oh. friend who said, can you ask Stephanie if Eddie's really as good looking in person? <laughs> From a. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to answer. Oh, my God. <laughs> Eddie's blue eyes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, so, that's your answer right there. there Eddie's a hottie. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. to you on wrapping that season and so awesome thank you yeah and to yourself to your app that's a whole other episode your app i mean i feel like what you guys are doing is very much in the same vein also to be continued tbc yes 
TBC. All right. Thank you, Paula. Seriously. Thank you. Thank you, honey. Thank you. Oh, what a great conversation. And I love hearing the perspective that both Stephanie and Paula had because it only adds to the conversation and hopefully it's helpful for people out there that might be feeling the same way. So that's it for this episode of Lunch with Lindsay. Don't forget, you can hear this episode anywhere you get your podcast and you can watch the whole thing either on Family Made or my YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating. Thanks so much. See you next time.